It's my pleasure to have you join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main web address, and ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money each and every day as our deal diggers are out looking for bargains for you. Speaking of bargains, I need to give you a new warning about what's happening in banks that is not a bargain at all. There's a special technique banks are using to separate you from your money that you have to be aware of and wary of. And coming up yet later, it's all the rage again. I'm seeing the stuff online. I assume it's appearing on TV and radio ads about how you're going to get rich flipping homes. I got some stuff to tell you about that in just a little while. So if you're a longtime listener, you know how much I despise payday loans. Payday loans are where someone in need of cash, let's say to pay a bill to keep the lights on or to do a car repair or whatever, may not have good credit, maybe even have better credit than you realize, but you don't know that. So you run off to these very friendly people at a payday lender. Or you go online to borrow money from a payday lender at 400 to 800%. And again, if you've been a long-time listener, you know how awful I find this to be and that it's worse than the calamity you may find yourself in right then with finances because of what they do to you, those payday lenders, because almost nobody's able to pay off the loan when it's due in a couple of weeks. And then you roll it over, and then you roll it over again, and roll it over again. And in just a very short period of time, you owe far more than double what you initially borrowed. And the hole gets deeper and deeper. So this has become a problem for employers because people, their performance at work might start to suffer. They're distracted. They're facing distress. And I'm so excited to tell you that employers are realizing this is an area they can step in and make a difference. And so now more and more employers are making emergency loans available to their employees that they then pay back through a payroll deduction. So an item in the Wall Street Journal about how these typically work. The employee pays a mid-teens interest rate, usually something 15 18% interest. The loans are up to $1,000. There are financial institutions that cooperate on it with your employer, and the employer just keeps debiting till the loan is paid off. And that way you're borrowing money at 15% instead of 5 or 6 or 700% interest. And so it never hurts to ask if something like this is available. Usually, if you work for a larger employee, employer, 
the human resources department or whatever they call it where you work employee happiness whatever they will be able to tell you if there is any small loan program available to get you past a tough time with finances because as you probably heard me say half of americans don't have the resources to handle a small financial bump in the road a couple of hundred dollars and so that's why employers are stepping into the breach to keep their employees from having their lives just hit by a train wreck which is what payday loans are steve is with us on the clark howard show hello steve how you doing I'm doing fantastic. How are you, Clark? Great, thank you. Steve, much, you are interested in something. I'm sorry, very much appreciate your uh, your advice, and we uh, really enjoy listening to your show. Well, thank you for saying that. And you are interested in something that is a hot topic right now. Hit me with it. Well, I'm looking at uh, purchasing cryptocurrency, or basically uh, cyber currency. And um, I'm going to utilize a very, very, very small, maybe 1% uh, percent of my uh, uh, retirement savings to do so. I want to put that into a Roth, but I want to know there are a lot of different scams out there from the standpoint of how to purchase cryptocurrency. And I wanted to get your recommendation on a source that you feel would be trustworthy to do so. Okay. So you've done something terrible to me. You're making me shallow breathe. <laughs> Understood. Because, you know, cryptocurrencies are not an investment at this point. They're a speculative activity. Absolutely. And so this is for money that if you lost it, it would make no difference in your life. You'd lose no sleep over it. That is absolutely 100% correct. I've spent a lot of time researching it and understand the volatility of the marketplace. But with some of the new technologies, blockchain, which is what... uh, you know, what cryptocurrency is really built on and Bitcoin's, uh, you know, processes, etc., is being accepted extremely well across the entire industry. And I just see it as a growth potential. Uh, but again, I do understand volatility and high risk. So uh, the thing is, this is funny because the whole blockchain is something that anybody in finance is ecstatic about Absolutely. because it's going to allow for rapid movement of funds, I won't even call it money, anywhere in the world at a much lower cost than how transactions take place today. Now, blockchain is a process. It's a way of doing that. And Bitcoin and uh, all the other cryptocurrencies, you know, non-government-backed currencies are just something that may, people may out of libertarian instincts or uh, people that are involved in criminal enterprises or whatever love the ability to move money around that doesn't have prying eyes of government looking. And so if you trade in these, know that the price movements are irregular and almost spontaneous and giant. And if you're looking for a platform, the one that's the most respected is called Coinbase. Have you heard of that or seen that? 
I have, and that's, yes, absolutely, that prompted my question, because I do see it pop up a lot, but then again, there's so much stuff on the Internet about this. Right. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to see if that was a, a reasonable source to look at. The only problem Gosh, that, I'm still that, shallow breathing, because, yeah. because it's something that I read so much about the cryptocurrencies and what's going on with Bitcoin, and... When I'm asked the safety question, I can't give like a seal of approval to any of them. But totally understood. When you ask me who is the one that's like, let's call it the most respected at this point, it would be Coinbase to be able to buy and sell and speculate in these digital currencies. Sure. The only issue with them is that they only offer three cryptocurrencies so they right. really and cover the entire market but. true but we're yeah. talking about a complete chaotic thing because a lot of these ICOs initial coin offerings mm-hmm. are really just scams they're ponzi schemes absolutely and so this is this is an area that requires intestinal fortitude cuz these things don't create any value they don't create any money so it, it's a it's a hard area for me to say, yeah, jump into this with both feet. The only reason I see it as creating value is, uh, you know, for Bitcoin, for example, has 21 million coins that are available and they can't add anymore. So if you compare that with, say, fiat currency, it, it seems to me that the value is really who is going to use it who is going to accept it as a payment resource. Right. So let me tell you what's wild about what you just said. So, yeah, you got governments that got these printing presses, and they can print as much money as they want. And that's where the fear generated the idea of having Bitcoin. Sure. Because uh, during the financial scandals, the, the banks that ruined so much of the world economy, governments and to try to prevent another great depression printed money like crazy and so there were people that were worried that we were going to go into a cycle of hyperinflation and that things were going to be worthless and all that and actually government money has turned out in most of the world to be much more stable than the cryptocurrencies so that's why again this needs to be money that you're not worried about if you make money from it fine if you don't Well, you're fine, too. Bonnie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Bonnie. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Bonnie. You got a kid about to go to college, and you have been saving money for it. I have. But now, I don't know how. I mean, it's not going to be until, you know, next September, but around March sounds like I'm going to have to start cutting checks. So the confusion comes in. Do I go directly to the college? Do I send it to my checking account and pay it through bill pay? Do I send it to my son's checking account and go to bill pay? How do I make that determination of the best way to pay the college? So you own it with your son as beneficiary. That is correct. So all you do is you just pay the uh, qualified expenses however you wish. You You put in a request to withdraw a certain amount of money you document right. that you have properly spent it on eligible expenses for college, and you're okay. good to go. 
All right. So then everything you read, like on the 529 website, they say like sometimes if you're sending to the college direct, you have to allow allowed time for it to get to the college or you could be have possible late fees. Right, right. Um, well, okay. So what they're talking about is that the paperwork bureaucracy at the at the administrator of whatever 529 plan you're in says, okay. hey, not on us if it takes us too long to get the money to the school. Okay. So, so as long as you a- document that you've spent it on the eligible expenses, okay. you can ask for money from the plan, pay the tuition, and or whatever other eligible expenses. You keep your paperwork that you've done everything exactly dollar for dollar, and okay. you have no problems with the IRS coming to eat you up. To eat you up. Okay, so why do they say sometimes that it's um, to do it in the beneficiary's name? Um, I, I have no idea. Okay. So Sorry. I was, because one of the things that came up with um, was that it's called that, um, that, that American Opportunity Tax Act that you're allowed to have. But if you have a 529, you're not allowed to claim that. Is that would be the loophole then? Is to have it go to the? Would that? Does is, I have not found sense? that that's okay. that that's a loophole that that would okay. qualify you for that. But the okay. great thing okay. is because you've saved money and you have it right for your child's benefit. How much uh, is tuition and expenses going to be for four years? Okay, well, I haven't quite... Now, that's kind of interesting, too, because even applying to these colleges, they put one thing on their website, and as he gets um, accepted, then I notice that they'll give him, you know, $12,000 off. And so I, I'm, my projected budget is I'm hoping around $23,000 a year. And how much do you have in the 529? And I've got about 72000 Congratulations to you. Oh, that's great. You have bought yourself peace of mind. So as your son goes through each year, pay the expenses as needed through the plan, and you will have used the 529 exactly as it's designed and almost never as it's executed, where you've covered most of the expenses of your son's college education through the money you've saved. Bonnie, that is fantastic. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something I want you to be aware of. Think about how often now, if you ever walk into a big bank's branch, the person you're dealing with says, if you say something like, oh man, I can't believe your CD rates are so low or whatever, they'll say, go talk to that person over there. They probably have got something great for you. Let me tell you why that eats up your wallet in today's Clark Rage. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. Here's an example. This is from the Financial Times of London with information they got from an insider at Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo, which, you know, has had all the account abuse scandals and all the identity theft and um, all the problems they've had with forgeries, signing people up for accounts they didn't want. Wells now... When you go in and you're in the branch, are trying to get their employees to steer you to Wells Fargo investments that are so much more expensive than going to one of my low-cost people. And the employees are 
Yes, they are getting commissions for getting you to go to one of their investment people. Many times in the branch, there'll be somebody doing that. I want you to know that you do not mix your banking with your investing. You don't go to a bank and also invest with them. By the way, the corollary is different. You may be fine doing your investing at an investment house and having them do your banking because both are done low cost at places like Charles Schwab and Fidelity, but it doesn't work in reverse. The giant monster mega banks, all their investment arms, all they do is fee you to death. And that's Clark Rages. It's wonderful to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and that wallet of yours. Hope you learn ideas from me so that you can save more, spend less, don't let anybody ever rip you off. You can follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. And our main website is Clark.com. There's something that there's a fascination with in people who love real estate. There's even been TV shows about it where you buy homes with the whole purpose of doing a quick rehab on them and selling them, referred to as flipping. I am not a believer in flipping, but it's as hot now as it was just before the real estate bust. So (laughs) is that a signal to you? Is that a signal to you that it's something you shouldn't be doing? You know, when you buy a property and you dispose of it, there's a lot of expenses going in and back out. And you, if you're going to flip a home, you've got to be exactly the right person to do it. You've got to buy a home that has, as people who do their own rehab like to say, it has good bones, that the home structurally is sound, that the ceilings are high enough that it'll be desirable once you clean it up, fix it up. And the you is really key. You've got to be somebody who can do your own fixing up. And time is your enemy, not your ally. You've got to be the kind of person who moves fast, has subs that when you come calling, they show up and that you turn that property really quickly. So now I've taken of the people who go to the Dare to Be Rich seminars about how to be a house flipper, I've now taken a ballroom of 400 people, and there's like three left who can meet all those things. So it is true there's that rare needle in a haystack where somebody's able to properly identify a property in a decent neighborhood that the neighborhood's fine, the house isn't. The house isn't going to be a nightmare to deal with, that it's affordable and it can be turned quickly enough to make the numbers work. For most normal earthlings, buying a property that's a little sad but can be made to look happy is really more a job for somebody who wants to get rich slowly, somebody who wants to be a landlord. And I turn right now to producer Joel, who at 33 years old 
already has four homes, each of which you bought when they were sad and you made them happy. One you live in, three you rent out. Yep. And your plan is to own these for a long time or a lifetime, right? For sure. Yeah, I want to hold them a long time. And of your three rentals, how many of the three are cash flow positive every month? All of them. That's right. That's right. That's the key. What advice do you have for people who get all excited about these TV shows about how they're going to dare to be rich in 10 minutes? It's. I think uh, it's way way harder than they make it seem on tv you can't you know they have to wrap it up all nice and neat in 25 minutes um and the actual the things that you can find in a house that could be wrong with it as you start tearing down walls and ripping things apart are as you i mean you can see that in the shows they can be enormous and totally you you might not have budgeted for it um and also you might think you can. It's easy to see the dollar signs in your eyes, uh, but it's really hard to know ahead of time whether you can really make money on a property or not. Whereas turning it into a rental, the uh, if if you're not doing a bunch of rehab on it, it's something that you can easily know the numbers on going into it. And I know this is an odd question to ask you because it's hard for you to give an exact. But what percent of the work you've needed to do on all four of these homes that you bought that were sad when you got them, what percent have you done yourself versus a sub or a contractor? Yeah, probably like 20% myself. Uh, That's an unusually low percent, which would make you completely unsuited to be a flipper. Yeah, I couldn't. Oh, I could definitely not be a flipper and do it myself. There's there's no way. Um but I, yeah, if, I think too, you have to be careful about what repairs you're getting into. And some of them, if you know exactly what you're doing, if it's minor and you can hire someone out to do it and do it quickly, that's great. Well, Keith, you have a housing related question for me and welcome to the Clark Howard show. Uh, yes, I, um, I'm currently in a house that uh, I'm running out and I'd like to think about selling it, but I want to know what sort of costs come with that. What are the implications of selling it have you been uh how many years have you had it as a rental uh five years all right so you're past the period where you could still be exempt from capital gains have you depreciated the house on your taxes over the last five years yes all right so you have some recapture there and did you show tax loss tax losses each year that you were unable to take that you're going to be able to carry forward to the time you sell? Um, no. So you okay. were able to use your losses on your return each year. That's unusual. Good for you. Mm-hmm. So what will happen is you're going to have to pay based on the book value of the home as it sits now, you're going to have to pay capital gains on the sale of the property. Okay. And what kind of gain are you going to have likely? Like, what do you think you're showing as the basis for the house at this point, adjusted by the years of depreciation? I'm not sure I exactly understand that. Okay. Um, um, so you've been depreciating the home over, is it a 27 and a half year schedule, something like that? Yes. Okay. And so it's reducing the the value of the home based on what you originally paid. What did you pay for the home when you bought it? 
175000 Okay, and so how much do you think you're going to be able to sell it for? I'm hoping around maybe 160 to 170 somewhere in that range. So you're going to sell for less than what you paid for it originally? Yes. Right. So you're going to have some depreciation, but your sale is going to have minimal taxation to it. Okay. Because if you've depreciated for just five years, uh, you haven't depreciated a whole lot, And so the gain after selling expenses will not be a significant gain. And then the tax is roughly somewhere around 20% more or less of that gain. So it'll be tiny, tiny amounts of tax. Okay. So it's almost better to have a huge gain because then you're whining about paying taxes, but you got all the money from it. But, well, we don't we don't owe near one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. We owe a lot less than that. But the beauty is, you pocket that almost completely tax free. Okay. Because the that's, tax that's is not based the tax is not based on what your remaining mortgage balance is. The tax is only based on the numbers and cents of your basis improvements you've made to the property over the years. Then you have to take out what you're going to have to, you got the benefit of from depreciating, you now have the recapture of that, but it's all going to work out just fine for you in the scenario you painted with minimal, minimal, minimal taxes. Do you normally use an accountant to help you with your taxes? Yes. Okay, because anytime you sell a property you've been depreciating, that's a year you use an accountant to do your tax. J.C. is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, J.C. Hi there, Clark. How's it going? Everything's great. Thank you so much for the call. Sure. I've got a comment, uh, Clark, about uh, it's the language we use in the financial world, and I've been listening to you for enough years to know um, how you define maxing out your 401k. But in the course of my work, I get to fly with a lot of different people and work with a lot of people who are not really clear on the definition of maxing out the 401k and i wanted to share with you a brief example if i could please many times uh the company i work for has a very generous company match and many times when i'm working alongside somebody we'll get on the financial topic and i'll state so how's your 401k doing and they say yeah i'm maxing out my 401k and i say well Tell me exactly what you mean by that. And they say, well, I'm getting the maximum company match. Oh, you're so right. And I believe that it would be so helpful for your listeners and many people I'm finding a high percentage of the people I fly with don't realize that there is an annual max and soon to change in 2018. Um, Go ahead and hit people what the match is. For people under 50 and people over age 50. And currently, in 2017, it is 18000 It will go up by another $500 in 2018. And then for people who are over 50, they're eligible for what's known as catch-up, yes. which allows them to contribute another 5500 something like that. Yes. It's just a subtle change in language, and I think the word max and match are so closely identified that... I hope your listeners understand that when you're maxing out your 401k, of course, it doesn't mean that you're just getting the company match. It means that you're making the annual maximum contribution according to the IRS. Well, that is a great suggestion because 
I do talk about it in shorthand with people. And the percent of people that contribute the max to a 401k, not the match, the max, I've heard is 3% of workers. And I don't know if, how accurate that number is. That wouldn't surprise me. And I have been a max saver, um, and I'm proud to be that. But it does take discipline, and it takes understanding those little subtle uh, changes in, in, uh, in language and definition. So, JC, at what age... Are you going to be able, if you wish to bag work, will you be able to being a max saver? Oh, dear. Um, great question. Uh, probably 58. And will you keep working past 58 because you love work? Or is that when you'll say, you know, this is enough, I'm out of here? I'll probably keep working, but on a little bit more of a reduced schedule. Okay, which what you're doing is it means you're in charge, you're in control. Absolutely. I mainly would just stay to maintain the health benefit. Um, and um, But I work for a fantastic company. I've been so uh, uh, blessed to have that match. I was given a bit of advice, too, from somebody who'd been here much longer than me. And she said, JC, every time you get a raise at work, up your percentage of your 401k by 1% every year. You won't miss the money. And I did that until I hit, I think at one point I was at 25%. So, yes, it's worked out well for me. And um, thanks to you and all of your wonderful, wonderful advice. Oh, and I love your suggestion. And I'm so excited for you that you save so much of your pay because it's not about deciding you don't want to work anymore. It's about you being able to make the choices you want in your life instead of somebody else having that hammer over you, you're the one who's the boss of your life and your future, and you made that happen by living on less than what you make. Appreciate you taking the time. So on the idea of retirement and when you're not going to work anymore, and I hear from so many people now that it's just not going to happen in your life, that you will never be able to retire. And I hear that with a wistfulness, sometimes uh, anger, frustration. And it is a hard thing uh, paying for everything we need for life currently and want currently, and at the same time putting money aside for the future. There is no one right path to do it or anything like that. But one thing I hope you hear as you hear the questions people ask me on our show, is that regardless of what's going on in your life, no kids with kids, uh, high income, moderate income, not necessarily true for people with low income, but moderate or high, a lot of it is what really matters to you. And if creating that financial independence really, really matters, you can make it happen simply by resolving to do just as you've heard, living on substantially less than what you make. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, 
Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with progressive insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Stephanie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Stephanie. Hi, Clark. How are you? Thank Good. you so much for taking my call. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but you have the most wonderful name because oh. one of my kids is named Stephanie. Oh, great name. Excellent. Yeah, she goes by Steffi, though. That's what my mom calls me. So she became <laughs> Steffi, though, on her own because in kindergarten, she couldn't write out the name Stephanie. And so she, on her own, is at five years old, decided to shorten her name, and it's stuck ever since. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, I just had a quick question for you. I heard earlier on your show this week that a gentleman checked a financial website or put in a password um, when he was on hotel Wi-Fi and ended up having money stolen from him. And um, I'm traveling soon, and I hadn't planned on getting a plan with my cellular phone because you had said the best or the safest way to check financial information would be on your cell phone through the network and not through the hotel Wi-Fi. So I was wondering, when I travel, how do I check my bank information safely? Very hard. So you have no data allowance on your cell phone plan at all? No, I do. I do. But I'm going to be traveling to a different country, and I don't oh, want to bother with the whole, okay. you know, extra plan and all that stuff. What countries are you traveling to, Stephanie? Um, Thailand and Indonesia. Okay. So I have never heard, you're dealing with a very different alphabet, and... And Thailand in particular, I mean, it's just, you ever seen the Thai writing? Yes, and I have, you know, it looks like little squiggles. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and go on Wi-Fi in in Thailand. I'm I'm not worried about somebody getting in there and figuring out how to steal your account. Oh, okay. And by the way, do you have uh, on your phone Google Translate? No. I probably should, though, huh? Put that app on your phone (laughs) because Google Translate will be such a lifesaver for you. And so if you have no cellular service in Thailand or Indonesia, at Wi-Fi, you can download uh, Google Translate for offline use for Thailand and Indonesia, and then you'll have the ability to communicate. Okay, that's great to know. So someone can speak to you in the phone in Thai or in Indonesian, and it'll come out with a somewhat reasonable facsimile of what they're meaning in English, and you in turn can do the same back to them. Oh, that's excellent. I didn't even know that existed. I I know that you could do it with text, but I didn't realize you could do it with voice. Yeah, it's wonderful. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews. 